Welcome to the Earth Kingdom Prairie Home Companion, a bi-weekly podcast where two nerds and a newbie watch Avatar The Last Airbender and provide all of their thoughts, feelings, and opinions. I'm Kelly. I'm Mike. And I'm JJ. To recap, previously on Avatar The Last Airbender, Team Avatar whiles away their time in the sinister city of Ba Sing Se, and we learn what happened to Appa. Today, we're going to do two episodes as we close in on the end of Season 2. Mm-hmm. We're going to do Lake Logai and the Earth King, which were some pretty jam-packed episodes. Yeah. <laughs> lots of stuff going on this week. And a lot um, of great action, too. Yeah, lots of really, really great action scenes, um, especially in the second episode. Um, so, Lake Logai... In open defiance of their hosts, Team Avatar takes the search for Appa public, but their only key to his whereabouts is in the unwelcome reappearance of Jet, who has been brainwashed by Long Fang. Meanwhile, Zuko must begin asking himself the big questions. What kind of person does he want to be? So, yeah, these are two pretty intense episodes. Mm -hmm. Just... It was really hard to stop this time. <laughs> it was really hard to stop this time. <laughs> um, especially as these pair, this pair ends kind of on a cliff note, or a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Um, I had assigned these because I kind of like thematically wanted to group these together. Plus I didn't want to talk about four episodes on one, one podcast episode, but it was really hard to stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty tough. I did not watch ahead, but it was touch and go there for a minute. <laughs> Good thing your, um, your battery on your laptop died. The battery on my laptop did die, um, but I had actually pressed stop for then so it wouldn't sure. automatically play the next episode. I did, I did. Oh, of course I, you did. <laughs> I, I was basically live texting um, JJ and Mike during my first watching of these episodes. <laughs> Uh, so I'll have to put some screen caps of those texts up on the show notes because they were pretty amusing. And I just <laughs> happened to be like a few minutes ahead of you on that second episode. Like I really yeah, just, you were watching it too at the same yeah. time. Random coincidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into this one. This episode starts off with Sokka drawing terrible pictures of Appa. While he, he's trying to design, like, a lost poster so that they can post them around Ba Sing Se and try to find um, Appa. And he's, you know, Sokka's sitting there drawing them, and they're all horrific, like, rudimentary, ridiculous drawings. And I love that Sokka is just a terrible artist, which kind of calls back to his when he made that little carving for... Um, UA, that for UA, yeah. bear thing <laughs> that was, nobody knew what it was. It was so hideous, and like and I just love that this is just an established part of his character that he has no artistic ability whatsoever. You know and what those course, drawings look like? Is they look like the like the writing staff or whoever on the show just got all their kids to try and draw Appa, and then they just like cut and pasted those into the show. And were like, <laughs> you know, soccer can't draw. Actually, so apparently I can't remember who it was exactly, but it's not one of the artists. 
I think it's somebody who works on the show, either a writer or like a producer. They got him to draw those pictures. Oh, that's amazing. That's an adult. <laughs> and it's an adult who drew it, which I thought was even better. I mean, um, they're probably better than what I myself could come up with, so... <laughs> I I noticed that Sokka was left-handed. Um, oh. I don't know if we've seen anyone else write or draw, but Sokka is left-handed. Um, so I thought that was kind of cute. Uh, not cute, I guess, but just kind of just something to Interesting, notice. Interesting, yeah. Yeah. A Southpaw. Um, yep. I well, have a lot while, of those in my life. <laughs> while um, Sokka is drawing poorly, Toph is just busting balls left and right. That's pretty great, too. She's like, I think it looks good. And he's like, thank you. And then, do you have to do that, really? <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I worked really hard. Why would you feel the need to do that? So good because of course Aang and Katara have gone out and got professional posters made that actually look like Appa and then Aang goes out and flies above the city littering everywhere and dropping posters of Appa all over the place so that other characters can conveniently find them and be tied into the main plot <laughs> which is great so one of the people who finds them is Zuko of course Jet comes across one later on um, and then after he's distributed the posters everywhere, Aang comes back to their home base and is waiting for someone to show up with news about Appa. And Katara tells him, you know, be patient. And he sits down and then there's immediately a ring at the door and he's like, being patient was great. Like, that was a, that was a great idea. <laughs> Which is also really cute. And it is Judy, the original Judy. OG Judy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, gee, Judy. <laughs> she is back, and she tells them that they're fly- they can't distribute these flyers. You know, she's just basically back trying to get them in line, and Aang isn't having it anymore. He is done trying to play nice um, and acquiesce to his host's demands, He's sick of being manipulated by them, and he just outright says, nope, done with this, we are looking for Appa, and I don't care what you think, and he gets really mad and red in the face. Yeah, he um, turns so red. Mm-hmm. I, I had to make a note of that, because it's just, like, purple. <laughs> yeah. And they confront her about the fact that she's been gone, and they say that, you know, they temporarily had another Judy who... Uh, you know, I guess was just there for that one to just escort them home from that party that one time, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. That was a little weird, and we will see, you know, many other Judies later on. Uh, Her response is really creepy, of the too. Episode. She's just like, but... She, she didn't even say but. She goes, I'm Judy. Mm-hmm. And then, like, continues on with whatever her thought was. Like, okay... Yeah. You're yeah, and this is the first time she mentions Lake Laogai. She's mm-hmm. like, I was just on vacation at Lake Laogai. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the first hint of maybe something's, something nefarious is happening. So. Right, something's not quite right there. And so then Toph, you know, so Aang, Aang gives his speech about how we're, we're looking for Appa anyway and we don't care, you know, about your stupid rules anymore or whatever. And and Toph is psyched because breaking rules. She knocks down a wall. She does, and I'm just kind of like, why did you do that? 
<laughs> like this is still where you are going to be sleeping tonight, right? Like, yeah, why but she can make just, walls. Why yeah, she can make another rock tent for herself? Ruin for sure, half your house. I don't know. Oh, tough. <laughs> um. So yeah, and then they set off to look for Appa, and we intercut with Zuko and Iroh. Iroh is continuing to kill it at this tea shop. He is just becoming renowned for his wonderful tea. And a wealthy patron offers him his own shop in the upper ring if he'll quit his job and he'll have complete creative control over (laughs) this new tea shop uh, and everything. And Iroh is, um, despite the very generous offer from his current boss to make him the senior executive assistant manager... (laughs) (laughs) That was after some haggling. There were a few less words on the first offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Iroh turns down that, that illustrious title and decides to move forward with his own tea shop, so that's pretty exciting. Zuko doesn't seem super excited about it, though. Iroh is his so good hair. at making tea that he has headhunters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People who recruit for tea shops, right? right? Um, I was going to mention Zuko's hair. It's which much is shaggier now. Yeah, it's noticeably longer in this episode. I so noticed it, it too. I don't know how I much time has passed. Oh, well, it's very obvious. <laughs> You've just been paying attention. <laughs> yeah. Um, I prefer Zuko's hair last week as opposed to this week. It's a little shaggy. But it, it mirrors his, you know, he's going through some existential stuff in these episodes. So perhaps the unkempt state of his hair is like the unkempt state of his soul or something. I don't know. Or it could just be like me and I just go like six months without cutting my hair because I'm lazy. I know. You know, it could be that too. But it could yeah, be I that too. <laughs> there is, there's been a significant amount of time, not a significant, depending on how fast his hair grows, I guess. But they've been there for a while now, so... You know, his hair is mm-hmm. growing out a little bit. So clearly, right. they're starting to run out of time. They're getting more anxious to find Appa and to get going on their plan against the Fire Nation. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, that was kind of the first shot as he goes, like, oh, his hair's longer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, time has definitely passed. And so, what happens after that? Judy gets that- reprimanded by Long She Bang. does. She does. She mm. breaks down a little bit and kind of, she kind of drops that like Stepford facade mm-hmm. and we see like genuine emotion from her when she's a little bit distraught and like, I, I, you know, I tried and I can't control them and they won't listen to me. And Long Fang um, invites her to Lake Laogai again, which we had just heard about in the previous scene and her pupils dilate and she you know pulls up that Stepford wife kind of robotic persona again yeah, at the mention of that words that, mm-hmm. yeah. Sorry, yeah. no that's what I was going to say so oh. <laughs> didn't mean to step on your toes but yeah the trigger words are the earth king has invited you to Lake Laogai and the response is I'm honored to accept his invitation mm-hmm. creepy and it's all like, I mean, this this kind of storytelling goes back to like Manchurian Candidate. Um, a bunch of other movies have done it too. Uh, the second X Men movie, the Zoolander, Zoolander, uh, <laughs> the last two Captain America movies. 
Civil, yeah, Bucky's got trigger, trigger words. Yeah, uh-huh. Civil War opens with Bucky being triggered and sent on a mission against his will. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Zoolander, sorry. That, I haven't <laughs> thought about that movie in years. <laughs> um, yeah, so meanwhile, our gang goes around the city hanging uh-huh. up the posters of Appa, um, as opposed to just kind of dropping them all over the city. They're just going out and slapping them. All up in walls, and we have this cute little exchange where they decide they're going to cover more ground by splitting up. And Sof's, and Taka's like, uh, Taka, Sokka is like, Toph, you're with me. She's like, what, do you think because I can't put up posters on my own? And she grabs a poster and sticks it up, like, backwards. Mm-hmm. And she's like, it's upside down, isn't it? <laughs> I guess I'll go with you. <laughs> I'll just go with Sokka. I love that. And I love that she goes through that whole cycle herself. Like, she doesn't need anyone else to say, uh, Toph. (laughs) She she gets there on her own, but she just needs to have her little moment of independence. I really like Toph a lot. I have liked Toph a lot since we were first introduced to her, but I really do like her a lot in these two episodes. Um, I feel like she is finally... She's finally starting to feel part of... The group, the group as a whole. Yeah. She doesn't feel so much like a newcomer. Um, I, I feel like she's finally found a place, and the writers have found the place where she belongs in the group, and I really like it. So that is really excellent as well. And they are putting up posters everywhere, and Katara is on her own in an alleyway, and she comes across Jet, who... Suffice it to say, she's not pleased to see. She, like, attacks him with a tidal wave. <laughs> I don't blame her. I would have reacted the same way. I'd be like, you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... I do not have... I, I've, I've never stayed friends with an ex. So... <laughs> so, you know... Especially um, not one who's destroyed an entire village. Well, so yes, yeah. Those are the hard ones to stay friends with. I mean, right. you know, some relationships, man. Um, and, you know, Jet insists repeatedly that he's just there to help. He wants to help them find Appa. He's a changed person. And Katara isn't having any of it. Everybody else on the team seems willing to give Jet a shot, which seemed a little weird to me. I get it in that they're trying to find Appa, and if Jet has information about Appa, then fine. But they all seemed almost to feel like Katara was overreacting, kind of, in her... in how angry she was at Jet. And Sokka even is like, you know, come on, let's hear what he has to say, or whatever. And I was like, I think you should all be just a little bit more cautious or upset or mad at him. Like, you can accept his help, but, like... <laughs> I feel yeah, like... they seem to, like, particularly Sokka, I feel, seems yeah. to have forgotten what... And you know, Sokka, such a grudge that he held against Jet in the first place. Yeah, Sokka was the one who was suspicious of him to begin with, and then, you know, those suspicions turned out to be correct. So Sokka doesn't seem like the kind of person to me who would be like, oh, but now it's fine. I don't know. So I, I expected everyone to be a little bit more reticent about cooperating with Jet, but, you know, it it was fine, and they all move forward. This is where we get... I, I don't know if it's the first time in the series or just the first time within the episode, but this 
is the first time for sure within the episode that we make reference to Toph's ability to sense if a person is lying because she can feel the heart their heartbeat through you know the stone when they're standing there have we done that with her before? No, I think this is the first time they've mentioned that. This is the that. first time. Yeah. yeah. This is supposed she to be like an expansion of her. Yeah, mm-hmm. she goes yeah. the full daredevil, <laughs> which I wrote down. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I did too. I was, Toph goes full on daredevil. <laughs> Those are my exact notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, it's because, um, well, she, she senses that he's telling the truth. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember exactly where in this whole interaction she says it. Sign the truth because they come across Smellerby and Longshot, who are like, "Where have you been, Chet? Mm. You know what happened to you?" And he's like, "I don't know. Nothing happened to me." And Toph is like, "They're not. Neither of them are lying. Mm-hmm. So they both believe whatever they've been through. So that kind of launches them into this weird side plot. I thought tiny bit of them trying to break Jet out of his brainwashing. Yeah, yeah." Like, uh, I could kind of uh, see it if they were like, we're going to do it so maybe he remembers where he's been and that's where we're get, that's where the information is, but it didn't really come across that way. It didn't really come across that way. It didn't really... I didn't really understand how he was going to help them find Appa to begin with. Like, did he just see the poster for Appa and decide, I'm going to help them because I'm a better person now? Because at first it seemed like he had information... Like, he'd seen Appa and knew where to go. It just... The, everything about that whole thing was really weird, and the breaking of him was really weird. And it used Katara's water healing power in a really weird way. Because apparently it can repair psychic damage, I guess. Which, her healing also, abilities. Yeah, and I've kind of been meaning to bring that up. So we introduced the healing ability late in Season 1, and then when they get to the Northern Water Tribe, we learn that the women who are waterbenders study the art of healing, and Katara does some studying with them. And then at, from that point on, I think we only mention it directly one other time when Azula has injured Iroh and Katara offers to help, and then Zuko waves them away. And then I think we haven't mentioned her magical healing powers since then. I think it's only those three times. I'm not positive. Again, this is my first run through the series ever, but I've kind of been keeping track of that in the back of my head. And I think we get the introduction of it and then the follow-up and then she offers to heal Iroh and it doesn't happen. And then that's it. And now we're seeing it again. If we have seen it other times, we haven't seen it frequently. Yeah. I feel like we've seen it before because I feel like at least we've seen, like, you know, because, like, she's got water over her hands, essentially, Mm -hmm. when she's healing, and they look like mittens and they glow. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like we've seen that before. I just can't remember what the context is. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was, like, a physical healing. What I was a little bit like, so it can fix brainwashing? Yeah, me too. I was like, what is it? And it doesn't even really fix it because later he's triggered, but it helps him see through it, like, to his past and then to make the connection in some way. So it, like, cuts through the brainwashing, but it doesn't heal the brainwashing. It was just weird and seemed weird, and I just didn't get it so everybody can drink, because that, <laughs> that doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> well, oh, it was also we... because 
it's like I guess if you could say like his brainwashing was like a blockage. We'll just say like a f- blockage to the flow of information to right. his brain. Okay. And then her her healing ability cleared it away, but then it just he just got triggered all over again. So right, mm-hmm. it's like it cleared the symptom, but not the root. actual cause. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't we know. Did, that, we yeah. did find out that uh, his family was killed by the rough rhinos who we keep mm-hmm. seeing chasing the mm-hmm. gang. And they there's one Fire Nation soldier who they kind of go, go close up on and he turns and we see his face framed. That's in Colonel Monkey. Okay. I couldn't remember who it was and I was like, I know we must have seen him before because they're making like a thing out of it, but I could not recall. He was on Kyoshi Island when Aang was doing the cross-dressing, trying to prove oh, okay. himself innocent and stuff. He, he shows up at the end. He also okay. ran into Iroh. And yes, yes, yes. Like, like, they're the also hum. a great singing group. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, now now I can place him. Okay. I was like, I know he must be somebody because this, this piece of animation is very specific and we're supposed to recognize who he is, but I couldn't put it together in my mind. But now I get it. That does ring a bell. Yeah, so they, there's this whole thing too where they go and there's a janitor who's about to lead them to Whaletail <laughs> Island with this misinformation and all that turns to be falsely planted. Like, there's just this whole weird plot in there that isn't relevant in any way, shape, or form. Well, isn't they, the idea that Jet was, like, deliberately given false information mm-hmm. to... yeah. Like, to, he is to unknowingly part of the trail, yeah. yeah. Right, to get them mm-hmm. out of the city, essentially, because when they're talking about it, when they believe the information to be true and they're talking about it, they don't have Appa, and the journey is going to take them weeks. It's almost as far south, you know, as the southern water right, tribe. Right. So it would get them out of Ba Sing Se, which is Long Fang's priority. Um, you know, so yeah, so it's a whole big setup. But just kind of clunky and weirdly executed, and I feel like we don't really need that in there I don't know yeah it's yeah well we have this funny exchange with the old janitor though he's like shuffle yes. along I getcha no more need for old sweepy yeah. he was a he was a talky janitor he just mm-hmm. like other people had moved on in conversation and he just kept yakking well he probably wouldn't get paid unless he dispensed with all of his information oh yes the wise janitor mm-hmm so they eventually get on the right path, which leads them to Lake Laogai. And Toph raises the tunnel that goes underneath, that's hidden beneath the lake, which I thought was pretty cool. That it's, you know, this place that only earthbenders can enter. And they all go down. And we get this long extended... This is like the heart of the episode, is kind of everything that happens beneath the lake jet as he's down there starting to remember more and more things are beginning to come back to him and they're they're in this long they're like it's like tunnels but caves but echoey and ominous labyrinth pretty much it looks a lot like a bunker like those you know those world Mm -hmm. war ii churchill tunnels you know yeah really dank and Creepy. There are some natural caves, some some that seem to be built, uh-huh. um, and they're like 
rooms, I guess, that are basically cells, and they're looking for one that's big enough to hold Baba. Baba. Mm-hmm. And as they go by, they... Well, first, Jet is looking through, and he sees the the army of Judees, essentially. So we see a group of young women who are all being led through this kind of brainwashing mantra, I am Judy, you know, welcome to our city, or whatever it is that the the Daili soldier is having them repeat, and they're all repeating in unison, and it's very creepy, and this kind of sheds more light on the, there's more than one Judy sort of a thing, and the brainwashing that goes on down here. I don't understand the purpose of having multiple Judies. I understand the purpose of having like an army of hostess spies that are brainwashed and under your control. I don't understand the purpose of having them all have the exact same identity. Maybe yeah. they're really not that creative <laughs> in the daily. I guess not. Like I understand how that would be useful and how someone like Longfang would be like we're going to keep an eye on every tourist that comes to the city. They're going to be assigned a hostess. The hostess is going to be under our control. You know, did it like all that is great. But, but why are they all ha- named the same? Right. And why <laughs> would you try to replace one with the other? Like, it just like that is just, what? it's all very bewitched. <laughs> it's all very bewitched. And I have some critiques about Longfang as a crappy villain. Not crappy, because he does manage to get a lot of shit done, and he is terrifying in that umbrage kind of a sense. Um, and but but there's just some things where I'm like, you are just you are you could be so much better at being bad if you just took <laughs> care of these few details, man. <laughs> You just leave your shit hanging around and... Maybe he's just overtaxed. He's got so many things to be running and overseeing in Boston Bay that he's just like... Little things are starting to slip through his fingers. I guess, maybe, like, I mean... It's, it's getting to the point where it's like the full North Korea where even he is starting to buy his own bullshit and it's getting... He's getting soft, you know? Like, he's not quite as on, to, on the ball as he always used to be, like, to get to where he was. He just got soft, you know? He got comfortable complacent <laughs> yeah and you know he just likes judy he just likes that name so fuck it yeah and he's just not a- creative enough to come up with like all the other names required he's just like y'all y'all right. are judy i can't think of anything else well they must have like their own names right or were these women like stolen from birth and raised underneath <laughs> this lake to become <laughs> judy like <laughs> truly not have their own names at this point. I feel like I would these watch are... the hell out of that episode, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, these are the questions that I have when I watch this show. So, we see that little snippet, which just raises more questions than it answers, and then we move on looking for this room that's big enough to hold Appa. And then we do that kind of classic cut that happens in TV and movies where someone says... I'm looking for this thing, and they push open the door, and then we cut to a shot from inside the very room that we think that they're entering, and someone else walks through the door, because we've actually cut to a completely different room. And we are in the room with Appa, and the blue spirit walks in. This is like a major missed opportunity for me, but because we don't, I don't think we're going to see him again ever. Like he, At the end of this episode, he drops the mask into the water, but... 
How did we never call him Bluco? <laughs> oh man! Right, like it's such a missed opportunity. Oh my god! I wrote that down and I was like, "Oh, we should have been doing this." Oh, we dropped the ball on that Seriously, one. Seriously, sorry, listeners. Thank you for saving us from a total, like, complete missed opportunity. You yeah. got it in the nick of time. Yeah, just in the nick. <laughs> wow, Bluco. Oh, man, that is really great. <laughs> yeah, he walks in, and we, we kind of skipped over, but there was a, a brief scene earlier um, between Iroh and Zuko when Iroh is delighted about his new prospects as a tea shop owner and trying out names. The Tea Weevil! Uh, <laughs> the Jasmine, Jasmine Dragon! Dragon. <laughs> and, uh, and he's excited about it, and he's trying to get Zuko to be similarly excited, and Zuko is... <sighs> he does the angst, angsty teenage boy thing. Not boy specifically, but the angsty teenage thing where he's like, don't you think that I want more from my life than just... Working work in a tea, in a tea shop? shop? Like, you know, come on, my destiny is greater than that. He practically and sang the opening number from Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that too. It's his I want it's number his I from want the Disney song. musical. Yeah. Oh man, I really want an Avatar musical now, guys. <laughs> I'd watch the shit out of that too. I would watch that, yeah. I'm gonna I would start writing that, that tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna start well, it's doing also because that. Zuko has that has the poster of Appa, so now he knows definitively mm-hmm. that at least Appa's in the city. So he, this is when he's like, I have purpose again, right? Mm-hmm. He has it, he's like, okay, I can, if I can go find the Sky Bison, then I can probably find the Avatar. And, you know, he's still holding on to that last vestige of hope that he can restore his place, you know, by his father's side. So, and, and Ira, on the other hand, is like, look, we have a good life here. There's nothing wa- wrong with wanting peace, you know, and mm-hmm. prosperity. You don't have, you know, have to be constantly in search of your destiny or honor. And of course, Zuko, being Zuko, doesn't listen mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. goes in search of Appa. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, he says he wants his destiny, and Iroh says, "Destiny, what that means is up to you. Like mm-hmm. you, you can define for yourself the course of your life." And um, and Zuko just doesn't believe that in this moment. He thinks that his destiny is to fulfill, you know, this this path that he's on, that his father's wishes, that he can't change, that this is, you know, all that he is. And so he is, Bluko is in there with Appa, and the door opens behind him, and Iroh comes in. And this scene killed me like a million times over and over. I just died continual deaths with every line <laughs> that happened in the scene. See, well, because my reaction was he's finally taking him to task because oh, I would yeah. have slapped Zuko upside the head a million years ago. I would have been like, "You, what are you doing, you moron? Oh, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> 100%. Um, it, it, it was so... We've been waiting for this to happen for so long, and it was so earned. Because if you remember, too, back earlier in the season when Zuko parts ways with Iroh, and Iroh just follows him and is like, I'm not going to interfere. I'm not going to try to persuade him otherwise. I'm just going to be here 
if he needs me. And in that moment when he needs me, I'll be here. But up until then, he can go on and do his own thing. You know, so we've seen Iroh be so patient and so respectful of Zuko as he tries to figure out who he is and what his life is going to be about. And now, you know, Iroh had thought things are going so well. We're starting to build a life here. We're putting down roots. We have these jobs. Zuko went on a date, you know, like this could be, this could be the start of a new life for them and a life that is a, a good life by all, you know, accounts. There's nothing wrong with this life as Iroh points out. And then Zuko just can't let go and starts to go down this destructive path. And Iroh does just yell at him. And But it doesn't... To me, it just seems like just so much frustration and disappointment. And, you know, it's not yelling, like, in that way, like, when you're angry with someone. It's like, it's like you want to pick Zuko up by the collar and shake him because he doesn't get it and why can't you get this through your thick head um every I mean, line Iroh's that patience is much greater than mine but it, <laughs> it, even that has limits too mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. he's basically like you wouldn't blame Iroh if he's like I have literally given you all the time and resources for you to figure your shit out and you still can't do it. So I'm going to lay some truth on you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, so long, this is a long time coming. Yeah. And he does it, you know, by asking very simple questions, you know, what are you going to do next? How are you going to get him out of here? What happens after that? Like you have no plan. You never think you just barrel ahead into these things and don't think about them and you've always done this and it's only sheer luck and goodwill from other people that have even kept you alive at this point you know at one point he's referencing the season one finale when Zuko's out in the cave and he's like if if the Avatar's friends hadn't come to find you Zuko's like I would have come up with a plan and he's like you would have froze to death because you had no plan (laughs) like you know so it's yeah it's very intense scene and it's intercut with um, scenes with the with Team Avatar, who eventually. Um, well, they opened their giant door, and mm-hmm. of course, it's not the one with Appa in it. And they're like, "This cell is probably big enough to hold Appa." They go in; it's empty, except it's not because the Dai Li are hanging from the ceiling like freaking bats. Yeah, I was like, mm-hmm. ugh. <laughs> Horrible, horrible, horrible. And Toph uh, is kicking ass all over the world. She yes. is amazing <laughs> in She's this. She's creating walls and pillars and pinning people to the ceiling and stuff. It's she awesome. is so, so, so great. I was trying to, you know, like when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about the groups, and you always have, when you have um, groups of characters that each have, you know, like they each play a role within the group. And I was like, Toph is the strong guy. She's the tank. She's the tank. Yeah, Toph is the bruiser. She's the big gun on the team. And Mm -hmm. it's awesome. Like, it it makes me so 
happy because, and, and we've seen this continually, this is not something new for her character, but again, I think that something about the this pair of episodes, it feels like she's finally clicked into place. And I don't know if that's just for me, or if I don't know if it's my own personal perception and nothing has really changed in the writing, if it's just something about this worked for me and whereas it wasn't quite fitting before, or if, you know, the writing really did tighten up or something at this point, but in this episode, it feels like she's a real true member of our team that has a role that works well. We've seen her take on tons of adversaries before. I mean, we've seen her do that since the introductory episode when we first met her. She's always taking on groups of people and fighting them off single-handedly. But she is just incredible in this episode, you know, there's one point in time when the Daili have grabbed Katara and I think Sokka and is like pulling them forward and she, Toph is off in a corner fighting somebody else and she just like whips around and throws up a wall to stop them in their tracks so they can't be pulled forward anymore. It's just, it's so cool. (laughs) I think it's also because the evolution of top spending is that first we see initially, of course, in the chase episode that she's like, and I'm fine by myself, and so she doesn't. She's not really part of the team in that way. And then as the the episodes go on, you can you start seeing her do more and more things for Team Avatar, bending wise. But I really mm. honestly think this is the first time that they've worked or they've fought bending wise as a team, because in addition to like helping like Katara and Sokka out. And, you know, Aang will come in and help her out with, because she can't necessarily handle everyone. Specifically, she can't handle the rock gloves. Because remember, she can't see flying projectiles. Oh, right. Um, so they're, they really start working in tandem here and they start, you know, working together and fighting together. And I think just like animation wise, it's starting to gel really well. Yeah. Um, so seeing her part of the team that way is pretty great. Um, so then, of course, in the midst of this amazing fight scene, um, Jet, who is currently fighting on Team Avatar's side, um, and then Long Fang shows up, and he says, "You are Jet, you are invited to Lake Laogai. Oh, wait, they chase uh-huh. Long, Long Fang runs away from the big fight. Right. Yeah, right. he gets right. separated from the group, yeah. Aang and Jet follow, and the door closes behind them, and that's when he does the trigger word on Jet. Mm-hmm. And so his people's go all huge and dilated, and he starts attacking Aang, and then Aang says, Jet, I'm your friend! And I was like, really, though? Really? (laughs) (laughs) Aang, are you really Jet's friend? (laughs) Um, But whatever, it's like, yeah, they're not friends! I thought you meant, like, really, that's your tactic, but that's a really good point, they're not friends. (laughs) (laughs) They're not friends, but Aang has been established as someone who is, you know, just gives everybody a shot all the time. I know. Well, but the I just anti-trigger like... word was freedom fighter. That, you know, Aang said that, you know, you, you remember your past, you're a freedom fighter, and he has a quick right. flashback of yeah. everything. Well, there's this really interesting moment, too, because so so we've kind of talked about these two plots separately, but the Zuko and Iroh conversation and these battles that are going on against the Dai Li and Long Fang are all intercut. So we're getting bits of them in between as, as they kind of fold together. And we get a portion of the conversation with Zuko and Iroh when Iroh's 
anger and frustration has kind of reached its peak, and he says, oh no, I'm sorry, um, it's with Avatar, with the Avatar and Jet first, I'm reading my notes, and I'm like, I just started writing Avatar instead of Aang, I don't know why, it got weird on my notes here. Um, <laughs> Aang is trying to pull Jet back from the brink of his brainwashing, and he says, you don't have to do this. And then we cut to Iroh and Zuko, and Iroh is telling Zuko, you know, that he's in charge of his own choice and his own destiny, and Zuko says, I have to do this. And so we get this line from each of them, with Aang telling Jet, you don't have to do this, and Zuko telling Iroh, I do have to do this. And the, there's this back-to-back moment. I always love when they put um, Aang and Zuko in these parallel trajectories where we get to see them in spaces like that up against each other as foils. It's not a perfect one because Aang is talking about Jet and not himself. Um, but still, that intercut with those two lines back-to-back was really cool, I thought. And uh, yeah, but the, the word freedom fighters, you know, that I guess is is Jet's real family. You know, he kind right. of, he flashes back through everything and we see scenes from his previous episodes and when he met Katara and with his group and with everybody and it kind of rapidly cycles through everything and he becomes himself again for a moment and attacks Long Fang. He throws one of his hook swords at him, right? And uh, Long Fang, what does he shoot at him? Is it does he? It's, it's a just like a big, big, yeah, yeah, rock. Yeah, just he just basically crushes him. Yeah, and he, and then Long Fang escapes, and he says, and the he dust like, clears. yeah, and he has some kind of like on the ground. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Oh no, I was gonna say Long Fang has some kind of like stupid villain exit line where he's like, "Foolish boy, you've <laughs> chosen your." ruin or some some dumb villain exit line that doesn't even really make sense in the moment he's slipping man i'm telling you <laughs> getting soft um, power's gone to his head but yeah so then we we uh, conveniently at that point in time the rest of our our group is able to fight through and join everyone so um Toph and guitar and Sokka and smellerby and longshot arrive and Jet is laid out on the ground, and Katara puts on her healing mittens and and presses them to his chest and determines that the outlook is not good. We'll come back to that in a second. And then Jet says, don't worry, Katara, I'll be fine. You guys have to go, you know, move on, keep looking for Appa, keep you know, doing your thing, I'll be fine. And they all get up to go, and as they're walking away, Toph whispers to Sokka, he's lying. Because she, you know, can feel uh, the vibrations of the earth. And it's... I, I've Two things that I want to talk about, and I guess we'll talk about the um, superficial one first, and then the, <laughs> the more substantial one. But, so, Katara and her healing mittens... You know, she kind of presses them to his chest and she determines that, you know, it's that he's in serious trouble. And then, you know, she just kind of is like, okay, I guess we'll go. I guess I just don't, like, either you can heal him or you can't, or you try but you don't. Like, it just was a weird... My reading of that was 
this is beyond my skill, mm-hmm. so let's go get help. Okay, I like that. Because that's, that's kind of least, how I read it. That's at but least ex- something. <laughs> the extent of Katara's he- healing powers are never really made clear to us. Yeah. We don't know what she can fix, right? She can. We've seen her heal burns on her hands mm-hmm. and apparently fix or at least, like, temporarily get rid of brainwashing. Um, <laughs> but we don't yeah. really know what she can do. There's some deep internal organ damage going on there. Right. You, you know, know, so... It's not just, like, a broken bone. It's, like, major internal damage yeah. that maybe it's just beyond her ability to do. I but, yeah, it's never had, made clear. I wish we'd had an explicit line or something to that effect. Like, I wish we'd had her say... You know, I I don't know how to fix this, or I don't know. You know, I don't know. It just seemed. I, or I'm just gonna, like I, even just we need more help would have right, been sufficient for me. Like something. okay, I'm gonna try, but somebody needs to go get help while I like keep him from dying or something, right? You know? Or something because I was just like they all just kind of get up and go, and then we don't bring him up again. Like nobody's like, hey, should we go back and get Jet? Like it's just a weird, it's just a weird thing. But that's my little superficial thing. So my deeper question is does this episode redeem the character of Jet for you guys? No. Um, I guess not. I, I mean, I feel like if it does, it's mostly because everyone else on the team just kind of acted like it did. Like, they, yeah. they'd, all, they'd all like forgiven him or whatever by that point anyways, so... If they're not going to hold it against him, I mean, I guess I I can let it go. But I don't I don't feel like he really redeemed himself. I just feel like he was a problem in a different way. <laughs> yeah, I, because I think my read on the episode is that the intention is to redeem him. Because if he's right. not redeemed, who cares if he's dead, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that the intention was to to redeem him. You know, I. I don't think it works for me either. It did complicate things for me. Again, I had mentioned in the last episode the whole gaslighting thing complicated things for me too. And this does as well. But we also don't... We get nothing concrete. We're shown the brief glimpse of him as a child and the Fire Nation coming and destroying his village. But we already knew that happened. We just now get to see a little snippet of it in the flashback. So we've always had that information. That's always been true. We've known that from minute one, and he still went on to do horrific things. And now, supposedly in the second season, when we meet him again, he is reformed. You know, the whole thing is that he's changed and he's left that behind, and they're going to Bossing Say to have a fresh start. But we don't know what it is that triggered that fresh start? Was it, you know, that he destroyed an entire town and was like, oh, hey, I shouldn't have done that probably? Or, you know, did something else happen? We don't really get... We're just kind of told that and we don't see and anything. And methodology still sucks. Right, because then he still becomes super obsessive about Zuko and Iroh. And He's still somebody who for whom the ends justify the means. Mm-hmm. Even though supposedly he's reformed, you know, that whole time when he's trying to basically out Iroh and Zuko. Yeah. And he's, like, trying to engineer situations where they would have to firebend and out themselves. Like, 
that's just gross. <laughs> like, no, it's not okay at all. It's super problematic. It, it's not okay, even though he is correct in that they are firebenders. It's just the way he goes about it is gross. Mm-hmm. So it would be one thing if slowly over the course of when we saw him in season two, he comes to realize that his methodology of the ends justify the means is actually what gets him killed. Mm-hmm. So, like, if he's had a change of heart somehow where he is um, now extremely angry against the Daily or whatever and decides to join up with Team Avatar to wreak his revenge on them or destroy them from within or whatever, and, you know, it, it's, it'd be one thing if they're like, no, Jet, you know, this is not worth your life, and he goes through with it anyway, and that's why mm-hmm. he dies. Like, that mm-hmm. would make much more sense to me than whatever this was. Yeah, yeah. It, because he reformed, but it seemed like the brainwashing caused his reformation. <laughs> but then, like, if you remove the brainwashing, apparently he was, like, a good guy all along. I, I don't know. It doesn't... It does, just doesn't gel together very well. And I really do think that, like, if it, if he had stayed true to I'm going to destroy everyone who's wronged me, and including the Dai Li, and he gets killed in the process of doing that, that just makes more sense than... I don't know what this was, really. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it quite worked for me either. Uh, yeah, it doesn't... It, it, it doesn't demonstrate that he in any way has had any real growth or change. Uh, which is unfortunate. But well, this, he, he doesn't even have to grow or change for me so much as if he's just consistent to the end and <laughs> those faults are what killed him, I would be okay with that because, you know, he's kind of a terrible person and those terrible things are what killed him in the end, so that right, would make but that sense. Would, but he, he that tries would be to do different. something noble, I think, and nobility is not a character trait of Jets that we've ever come across. Right. Ever. Well, the writers, the writers clearly want us to care about him now like you know like if if he had just behaved terribly and that had led him to his death I don't I deliberately think that the writers were trying to engender sympathy for Jet with this episode and I I I don't want to say that I'm like completely indifferent but I'm not on team Jet it doesn't redeem him in my eyes it complicates things slightly but only marginally so and that's largely because i think of what mike said wherein our characters are just rolling with it and so i'm the only one sustaining my own outrage which normally i can do really well and i don't need any outside help on that um but yeah but so i am assuming that he's for real dead although we don't see a body and we don't see, you know, the last words in the hand fall limply to the ground, which is also code for really for sure dead this time. Um, well, we did get a line from Longshot punctuating I know. his death. Longshot actually speaks. speaks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So serious, y'all. Longshot, like Longshot opened his mouth. That's the version that we're going to get on this show. Of, of like, that. The last word and the hand drop. It's it's long shot telling people to go. We'll handle this. Right. This is our job. You know? Yeah, this is our family. Yeah, they don't go back for long shot and smaller be either. I'm kind of disappointed nope. in Team Avatar, you guys. <laughs> you yeah, just left them on, in that Aang. cave. <laughs> like, 
actually is what made me feel sorry about Jet's death. It's not that he redeemed himself for Team Avatar. It was actually Smeller B and Longshot's reaction. Mm-hmm. They're going to stay with him until the end. And that, to me, is much more tragic because here's a friend of theirs, a, you know, a compatriot of theirs that they've been with for a long time who's dying. And they're just going to stay with him to the end, even though they know he was, you know, not all that great. So, like, their loyalty to me is far more touching than Aang and company just kind of being like, I guess it's okay now. Sorry you're dead. Like, (laughs) so to me, the actual sympathy came through Longshot and Smellerby and not whatever goodness, innate goodness Jet demonstrated. I think there is a way to make Jet sympathetic and not make his character inconsistent, which is... Exactly that. You you see it through Longshot and Smellerby's point of view. Like, this is somebody whose idea we believed in, and that got warped, and, you know, there's, and it was too late to pull him back from the brink, mm-hmm. and that got him killed. Like, that's an easy way to at yeah. least make me feel something about his death, aside from, so that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which is actually my reaction, just, so that happened, I guess. <laughs> I do not like Jed, if you guys can't tell, so I'm just like... Well, fortunately for you, we don't really have to deal with him a whole lot anymore. No. So. (laughs) Well, it's funny because I, like, listen to the commentaries of people, you know, on the show, and they're just, like, they're talking to this woman, and and she was like, Jet's really hot. And I was like, ugh. No. (laughs) No. And she's like, anyone, you know, it's like any woman who says she doesn't find Jet attractive is lying. I was like, "Mm, nope. (laughs) Nope. No, no. Negative. You are wrong. You are wrong, lady. (laughs) This is not attractive. How did they not know your thoughts about Sokka and Zuko? Right? Our heroes emerge from the tunnel underneath Lake Laogai, and they are almost immediately surrounded by Dai Li. It does not look good for our heroes. And then Momo starts chittering anxiously and flies off into the sun, and comes back with Appa. <laughs> so Zuko got him out of there. And, and Zuko I, let him go. More Zuko importantly. let him go. Yeah, didn't keep him for himself. Um, and I did have this one brief moment where I was like, I know they must have gotten him under the lake somehow to begin with, but like, where did he come from? <laughs> where well, is the, the gigantic? Was how did Zuko and Iroh get in this under- underground bunker? Yeah, they don't earthbend. I guess it looked like Toph never resubmerged the tunnel. Like, I guess yeah, that's true. Maybe someone they followed the opening. But yeah. was my first question was, how did they know to be here? To, yeah, <laughs> to find Appa. Like, Aang and company have been in Bossing Se for who knows how long, and they've never figured out where Appa is, but from, like, one poster, no, Zuko, Zuko figures it out. No, Zuko um, gets the Dai Li in the alleyway. He sets yeah. up the dummy of the blue spirit. The dummy, yeah. Yeah, and then, and so I think that's how Maybe he, he did took it. him hostage or yeah. something and got him down there, but I was mm-hmm. like, hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, a, you can see above Appa, there's actually a great and blue sky. Oh, so, so maybe they cut it they could, open. Like, bust that open, and that's how Appa got out. But regardless, Appa is free and has now rejoined our group, and Yay. makes his displeasure known, which was great. Mm-hmm. He bites Long <laughs> Fang, uh, takes is... his, like takes his, and then like spits his shoe out. <laughs> yeah, he skipped him across the lake like yeah. he was a stone. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is how I I am always um, every twist in every show and every book and every medium ever always surprises me almost because no matter how obvious it is or how heavily foreshadowed because I'm just the most gullible person on the face of the earth (laughs) and if he wanted to I'm sure Mike could tell you many many stories to support that fact I don't know what you're talking about (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's pretty bad and so I saw this and I very naively was like well that's the end of Longfang we won't be seeing him again (laughs) because I'm (laughs) Because I'm just, like, the dumbest, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I was like, good for Appa. See, see you later, Longfang. Good riddance. And we get a really touching, wonderful reunion where everyone just runs to Appa and gives him big hugs and Aang cries. I really loved Sokka's reaction, too. He's like, Appa! And it's really, really lovely to have everyone reunited again. And... Yeah, that is the he episode. He was gone for uh, six episodes, maybe? Mm-hmm. A long time. The Desert, The Serpent's Pass, The Drill, City of Walls and Secrets, Tales of Bossensei, and Abba's Lost Days. So yeah, that's six. Six episodes we have mm-hmm. not... They've not been together. Mm-hmm. So it's been a long time, actually. How, how soon did Kel? How soon did you think they were going to get him back? I mean, did you think it was just going to be like a one and done? Yeah, I'm pretty sure on our podcast when we were doing the desert or whichever one came after the library, I, I thought that you know that was going to be the episode in which they go get Appa back. Right. <laughs> I did not expect it to be a sustained plot point that they would continually have to address. Um, so that, yeah, that was definitely not my original expectation. Oh, oh, and the episode actually ends after Iroh and Zuko exit the tunnel and Zuko drops his mask mm-hmm. in the water after yeah. Iroh urges him to. Yeah, and there's really creepy music playing, too, when he does it. It's like a very sinister type of yeah, music. it's kind of ominous sounding. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, it's, I guess it's cueing that him... Yeah, the his the, yeah. The Zuko persona. <laughs> well, <And> let's <laughs> has ramifications for him. Yeah, so. in the next episode. So, should we move on? Is there are there any voice actors we haven't covered in this one? Uh, yeah, actually, both of the episodes have just like two each. Um, oh, first, I wanted to mention I forgot someone from last week. I started looking at the um, whatever the additional voices is how they're listed on IMDb. Because usually I just brush over those because it's hard to figure out who played who. Um, but last week I forgot to mention that Will Wheaton from Star Trek: The Star Next Trek? Generation was the pet shop owner that uh, they wandered in. They wanted to know about the black market, and Judy was behind them, being like giving him that hard smile, and he was like, "That would be illegal. Get out of my pet shop. Your bar." Wesley you know, Crusher was the pet shop owner. That's right. That's okay. hilarious. It's funny. <laughs> um, and yeah, the other two voices are, I think they're literally, each character had like one line. One is Longshot, um, played by Mark Donato, who is best known for playing Derek Haig on Degrassi. Um, <laughs> the other two that I wrote down were Nodding First Grader in Billy Madison. <laughs> And Jack, at age three, in the, t- the 1993 TV movie 
JFK, Reckless Youth. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the other person was um, the rich tea shop guy who um, scooped up uh, Iroh. The character's name is Quan. The actor's name is Kurt Fuller. He plays a lot of, like, sniveling, unlikable right-hand right hand men. He's a character actor who's been around forever. He's been in basically one episode of every single thing that's ever been. But <laughs> um, you might remember him from such roles as Jack Hardemeyer in Ghostbusters 2. He was the Mayor Lenny's aide. He got the Ghostbusters um, put in an asylum because they were bothering... Or they, they were threatening to go to the press or something. Um, he was also... <laughs> he was Carl Rove on the TV show That's My Bush. He was Russell Finley in Wayne's World. He was um, Rob Lowe's right-hand man who, <laughs> at the end, he was like, No, man, I love you. Just say it back, man. Okay. Um, and <laughs> the other role that I wrote down was... Um, he played a concerned citizen in the 2014 short Gay Batman. Okay. And that's, that's everyone in that episode. Um, All right. I guess the only other thing I wanted to mention was in that scene where they're trying to break Jet's brainwashing, Sokka sticks a piece the, of straw. Yes. <laughs> It's so great. We get, like, Sherlock Sokka again a little bit. I love it. And he's like, hmm, and just, like, shoves it back in his mouth. And then Sokka's other suggestion is, Katara, you should kiss him. <laughs> and she's like, uh, no. And, and Aang is like, yeah, that's a terrible that's a idea. bad idea. <laughs> oh, I did want to point out, when uh, Katara first runs into uh, Jet, and she has him pinned to the wall, she has, like, a ball of water like, ready to go, locked and loaded in two hands, and she totally does just this, like, watery Hadouken, you know, Kamehameha, just like a fireball, except it's water. She just, like, nails him up against the wall with it. It's the little things that I like. <laughs> Other tiny thing is everyone is just a smidge off-model in this episode, and it bugs me. Mm. Just like a smidge. Not, like, terrible or egregious, but just a little bit off-model to the point where I was like, this is noticeable. Katara in particular, it's noticeable. Like, the yeah. shape of her eyes are a little bit different. She did look and a little weird in this one. Yeah. That's some third, like, third-string animators in this week. <laughs> well, they split the animation between two different studios, and you can kind of tell one versus the other, and I can't remember which one is the one that did this one, but I was like, you guys are just off-model, like, a little, and it's bothering me. <laughs> But like like I said, not enough to, mm -hmm. to really be that noticeable, but still. So. Yeah. And our final episode for today is the Earth King. Team Avatar storms the palace in an attempt to sway the puppet Earth King to their side and sidelining Long Fang, though not taking him out. Meanwhile, Zuko's choice unravels his core identity. The war within his soul sinks him into spiritual fever dreams from which he will emerge a different man. And forgive me, while I was reading that out loud, I just realized I had some wonky verb agreement in there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, this episode, like the last one has some really great, great, great stuff in it. And then some other stuff that's just kind of like, what is happening here? 
So I'm excited to talk about it. We open up pretty much exactly where we left off with everyone hugging Appa and being really happy to be reunited. Sokka immediately thinks that they should push their luck and go to the Earth King, force their way in, tell him about their plan and get them get the Earth King on their side so that they can go invade the Fire Nation. And everybody is like hella skeptical of this. <laughs> of this. Toph says at one point, I don't trust the new positive Sokka. Um, which is perhaps... Uh, she, she accuses him of being brainwashed. Brainwashed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everyone's like, nope, we should totally cut and run and get out while the getting's good. We've got Appa. We should just leave. Let's get out of here. But Sokka manages to convince them that they have to at least give it a try. And then they storm the Earth Palace. And it's awesome. It's really awesome. <laughs> it looks really good. It, I mean, this again, you see them work as a team. Mm-hmm. So I love that. I also made a note, Aang has gotten really good at earthbending. Yeah. yeah he, he like does a no-look straight arm at one of those things they lobbed at him, and he just keeps going. Mm-hmm. And of course, Toph is super powerful. She's, she's amazing. Like lifting tiles and doing this. And what I loved is that the, there's like these big stairs that she just makes smooth and flat, so mm-hmm. they're all like falling down. And then she and she Aang, Aang just like row themselves this, up. Like, yeah, yeah, do this like elevator thing. But like it's the two of them on the side, and they're like pushing this thing up. And um, it kind of looked like also them storming the palace. Kind of looked like an episode of Ninja, American Ninja Warrior. I don't know if you've seen that. <laughs> I love that oh, yeah. show. Oh, yeah. yeah, I love that show, too. Um, I think it's based on, what was the, I don't remember the name of the Japanese version, but basically, you know, like, the people I are running an obstacle Ninja course. Warrior. Um, so, yeah, I just loved, you know, that whole action sequence. It's so good. It's, it's so just great. really well-coordinated, well-choreographed. We just see these kids be super creative with their bending, which I always love, because it's not going to be the same stale fight moves every time they they use the resources they have at hand they react to their environment and i just thought this was a great scene yeah katara at one point like hooks them with like a strand of water she like pulls their feet out from under them and dumps them in a river or a lake or whatever she also wears water around her arms now i thought that was so cool i did too i was like as opposed to having to pull it out of her water skin and she's just got it at the ready all the time Yeah, she's got like sleeves all the way up like yeah, like water sleeves. It's like um, a shrug. Mm-hmm. I loved too that. So you know they're doing this and they're they're going through levels. You know they get through one set of opponents and they get the next and the next until they're doing that escalator move up the side of the palace walls. But at one point they're there, and Katara is battling people, and Toph kind of hits. There's like slabs of earth, and she kind of just topples them all over with like dominoes and trapping soldiers in between each slab. Mm-hmm. And as they're running by, <laughs> Katara's like, <laughs> she's like, "Sorry, we just really need to see the Earth King right now." <laughs> she's like <laughs> taking people out and apologizing. And yet again, I had a beautiful moment where I just hardcore identified with Katara <laughs> because I was like, ah, "That would be me." <laughs> like, I would. I would would be like knocking people out of my way and be like, I'm really sorry. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to, you know, it's not personal. I just have to do this thing. I'm really sorry. Sokka says the same thing too. He He's does. like, seriously, we're on your side. Sorry. <laughs> so great. 
this episode so and, and a little bit last episode, I mean, obviously this one more, but uh, they started the last episode with um, Toph and Aang working together in tandem to do stuff. They, mm-hmm. I think in the last one they launched some Dai Li agents like off the wall into the lake. Um, and they do it a bunch of times in this one, including when those the uh, Earth Kingdom soldiers launch the badger mole statues, these like three-story high statues yeah. at them. And they just, like, to block it, they just make, like, a hill in front of them, which is simple and really effective. hmm Yeah. So, it's really great. They finally get into the palace, and, you know, they're going through Sokka's opening doors, and behind him you just see, like, the chaos of the battle. <laughs> he, like, opens door after door after door until they finally find the palace door, and they find the Earth King. And... I think the best way to do this would probably be to break it up. So we'll just talk entirely about their plot first, and then we can add on the Zuko stuff later on at the end. So they get in there, and this is another moment where I'm like, Long Fang, you are just an idiot. Because if you are this brainwashing villain, this mastermind with a puppet king... And you you have this whole underground secret lake laboratory where you can brainwash people to respond to your trigger words. Why do you not have the king brainwashed? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> like, this was already all laid out for you in, like, Lord of the Rings. Like, they already have, they already have this all set up for you. You just gotta take it. I don't understand. He's instead there. He's trying to be like, I'm your most trusted advisor and you should just, you know, and we go through this like pageantry of the Earth King who's just really kind of dumb. He's real dumb. He's real dumb. He's real dumb. His design is actually based on Emperor Puyi, who is the last emperor of China Mm -hmm. before the communists took over. Um, And essentially dumb. He was a child and a puppet king as he grew Aww. up. So, <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> he wasn't necessarily dumb so much as he was just under someone else's thumb his entire yeah. life. Which is exactly in the case of this particular right. king. Yeah, it's very um, understandable, but oh man. I feel like if you have to get the king to an underground lab to brainwash him, people probably would notice that, though. Do you, though? Like, I never got the sense that the underground lab had anything specifically to do with it, except that it was a good place to take care of that without anyone knowing. You know, you could brainwash your army of... Stepford Judies without anyone catching on. But if you're in the palace, which is already super secluded, and the Dai Li, the palace guards, are completely loyal to you, can't you just brainwash the king in his throne room? Like, it doesn't seem like there's anybody else there except for the king and Long Fang and then the Dai Li, who are all loyal to Long Fang. Yeah, I mean, that, and apparently he's never stepped foot outside his palace the end yeah. of his entire life. Yeah, so I suppose. Insane. Suppose you could have just been like, and nobody would know. Nobody, literally, nobody would know if you brainwashed him, or even if he left, no one would know. Or even if he was still alive, like, just kill him off and just say, "Oh, the king told me to," you know, "I'm carrying out the king's orders." I just feel like Long Fang. Come on, man! Like, <laughs> you, you can do better than this. Um, I definitely did write evil down. Enough. <laughs> Grima worm tongue, like. At this point in my notes, because yeah. that's that's what they're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 
Yeah, so we get um, this whole extended scene after scene after scene where they're trying to convince the Earth King that Long Fang has betrayed him, that there is a war with the Fire Nation, you know, all of this stuff that he has been completely oblivious to for his entire life. There are some cute moments in it, you know, like at first when they're in there. Well, first of all, Aang's... Um, lawyer skills have improved significantly since his trial <laughs> on, <laughs> on Avatar Day. Yeah. He also yeah. knows how to uncuff himself casually I saw that and then too. go right like, back to that it. That was awesome. That was so awesome. And just, and just decides to stay imprisoned out of his own mm-hmm. sense of honor. Yeah, That's just his character trait now, you know? And we've <laughs> seen that before too, so. Yeah, he yeah. stayed in the stocks even though he could take his head totally out Totally just it. take it out, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so that was really cute and funny and then kind of during this back and forth when they you know they say he's got he's been bitten by appa and they bring appa in and they measure the teeth marks and you know whatever and as they go through and the king seems to agree you know that that this is corruption and i've been lied to and we get this long shot of of team avatar and they all cheer and then he's like but it still doesn't prove anything and then they are like oh <laughs> And then he's like, but maybe we could look into it. And they're like, okay. Like, they just go from joy to disappointment to, like, shrug. It's like a tepid victory for them. Yeah. It's pretty great. We also see the bear again. Just the regular bear, Bosco. Uh, Bosco was what determined, you know, Mm -hmm. the king even being willing to listen. Because he was all in uh, Wormtongue's pocket there until Bosco was like, hey... I like this guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so we, we finally get the Earth King out of his palace. We take him on the train, which he's never been on before. Uh, we take him to Lake Logai, but Long Feng has cleaned up after himself, and the tunnel has been destroyed, so that doesn't really prove anything. They decide to take him to the outer wall to see the drill. They convince him to go by saying that he can ride on Appa instead of taking the train back. He does... He sees the drill. It's still super phallic looking. <laughs> and <laughs> with it, they haven't even out. gotten rid of it. They just built another wall, wall around, around it. it. Yeah. You so. think they would at least enclose it all the way. Like, <laughs> at least put a top over that thing. Well, uh, yeah, they're like, it's, you know, it's Fire Nation. It's got the symbol. Mm-hmm. And I love that Long Fang's excuse was like, we had to outsource. It's important. You can't trust domestic machinery. You you know the Earth Kingdom sucks at building stuff. (laughs) Um, Ultimately, this does convince Mm -hmm. the king that, okay, you know, I've been lied to, so we need to do something about it. And so he decides to pledge himself to uh, Aang's cause. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens to Long Thing? I can't remember what he happens. Gets well, he gets cuffed by the Dai Li with metal cuffs, so he can't escape. Earth bend out of yeah, the yeah. The, well, the king orders the Dai Li to cuff him, and then we get this like a really close up, super shifty side eye between the two, the two yeah. Dai Li guards, and then they cuff him and take him away. And that was the end. That was really not not the end of the episode, but the end of like the main plot point. Yeah, this particular part of the mm -hmm. plot. Yeah. Uh, Sokka says, looks like Long Fang is long gone. I've been waiting to use that one. one. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's really... The pacing is obviously weird, because the point of this episode isn't this whole thing, really. Um, this episode is this episode is basically set up for the finale, I'm assuming. Yeah. Because we've got two yeah. episodes left, right? So this is like our, our set... We're setting up everything... Everyone's being moved into place. So there's no finale. Yeah, there's no real like point. Like there's a point, but that you know this is this is purely set up this entire episode. So we get we dispense with that really quick, but it doesn't seem really quick. It feels like it takes forever. I was not super enamored of this plot. Um, well, the first act is them breaking into the palace, which is super cool. Awesome. The second That's act awesome. is them trying to convince the Earth King, which is less cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, not super great. But so then we get, we return to this, if you guys remember, the opening, um, the season opener at the very beginning of season two when they are leaving the Northern Water Tribe and Pashu does his, like, Wizard of Oz thing where he gives each of them, except for Sokka, like, a special thing. Katara gets her special water and, and gets the scroll, and, you know, they all get their stuff. We're we're bookending that, where now um, the Earth King has, you know, this um, information that he's giving out to each one of them. Toph gets a letter from her mother, who is in the city, to see her. Aang gets the letter that the guru had given to Appa. And Toph, uh, Katara, and Sokka get intelligence information, which I was kind of like, I know you've only been, like, an actual ruler for, like, five minutes, so you could maybe be forgiven for not making the best strategic choices, but, like, why are you giving random people your intelligence briefings that you yourself probably didn't know existed until five seconds ago? But okay, he gives them an intelligence briefing that says that their father, Hakoda? Mm-hmm. Yep has been, you know, cited. Um, and so everybody gets, everybody gets a bit of good news, which I just thought was really lovely, kind of mirrored to the way that we opened the season. And they're all discussing, you know, what's going to happen next. And, and these things have all given them, you know, a task to do. Aang has to go find this guru and study from him. The guru says that he can help Aang learn to control the Avatar state, which I have some questions about that, but we'll get to that later. Toph, you know, is is like, it sounds like my mother is really ready, ready to accept me for who I am and wants to reunite. And uh, Sokka and Katara are obviously very excited to know that their father is alive and want to go and see him. And so Katara suggests that everybody split up. Katara splitting up is always the worst idea. Nothing good ever, 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 ever comes from splitting up. Ever. 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 Well, like, even <laughs> so, like, if you must split up this group, at least those who are staying behind and bossing say would Go stick together. together. Yeah. Because, like, Sokka and Aang leave together because Aang has to go see... Aang, I think Aang offers to drop Sokka off. Drop him off. off. Um, because initially they, you know, the two siblings were like, oh, one of us should stay here to plan the invasion against the, the Fire yeah. Nation, and one of us and the other one go see our father and tell him about it. Um, and it's kind of this really cute exchange where it's they both adorable. offer to let each other go, and... Katara's like, no, I know this means more to you, Sokka, than it does to me, so you should go. And he's like, you're the best 
sister. He does the little dance. He does the like tiptoe, like wriggle of delight. He's like, "You are the best sister ever," and it's so cute. And I die it is a super million cute. times. So you would think that okay, so you put Sokka and Aang together, so they're together, right? And then you put Katara and Toph together to navigate being around Bossing Say, but no, they're like, no, we should all split up. Okay, fine. super dumb, <laughs> super super dumb, and also. I don't understand why you have to split up at all. Everyone just go see Toph's mom. Everybody go give the Earth King the shit he needs to plan this invasion. Everybody hop on over to see Katara's dad. And then everybody go with there to see this guru. I don't know. know. Strategically, Mm. (laughs) I think it actually does make sense to split up. But it doesn't go well for them. This is a sincere lack of genre awareness. Anybody who is part of a group who is out to save the world knows that if you split up, bad things are going to happen to you. <laughs> this is fact. How could they have not been aware of that genre I'm, awareness? I am telling you, this is a thing. So, Katara suggests they all split up. It unfolds in the way that JJ just described for us. And... Uh, Aang is at first really he's like we just got the family back together and I was like I know. they are a family guys <laughs> <laughs> so you guys so you're totes cute. a family <laughs> and um and then and the other thing about this too is that in some ways everything from this point on when they decide to split up and they're all talking about where they're going to go for this, you know, this feels like a season finale cliffhanger. This feels like if you'd resolved your major thing and now you're going to split everyone up to go off on the next part of everything, but everything ends badly and then you cut the season. But I knew that we weren't at the season end, but it felt to me like this is what it feels like where everyone's happy. Everyone's reunited. Everyone's okay. We've solved our immediate crisis and now, you know, we're going to split up and go forth and everything's going to go horribly wrong. And I, I, I would normally think of that as being a finale. So I'm interested to see what the real finale ends up doing. Um, as they're leaving, because again, we get all these like little emotional beats too, because Aang tries to declare his affections for Katara as they're leaving. Sonny totally <laughs> talk blocks the hell out of him. I pouring. I and know. it's so cute because the, the theme from the Cave of Two Lovers plays when he's trying to, to tell her that he likes her. Um, of course, Sokka Yeah, just barges right just in. Barges right in. Cock blocks him. So oblivious. Um, so oblivious. But she does give him a kiss on the cheek. Mm-hmm. Ang- she gives Aang a kiss on the cheek before they all split up, so it's mm-hmm, it's yeah. it's cute. We get a big group hug too, right before they all go, which is really adorable. And then as they're about to take off, the Earth King is like, "Oh hey, the we have some warriors of Kyoshi here," and Sokka's like, "That's Suki," and you know he, he and um, Aang fly off, and they're like, "Girls are going to be waiting for us." And Sokka, of right. course, <laughs> Sokka of course is like, "Everything is perfect, and nothing is ever going to go wrong ever again." <laughs> now, like, in this moment, Kel, were you annoyed that the Kyoshi warriors were coming to town, and Sokka knew they were coming to town and still was leaving? Like he didn't even stick around to say hey. You know? No, at first I thought that he would because he falls off the 
uh, he falls off Appa. Like, he's up on Appa, and then he hears about the Kyoshi Warriors, and in his excitement, he, like, falls off. And so I thought that he was going to go, you know, to reunite with her quickly um, first and then go. Uh, but it didn't, it didn't make me mad that he went. I just wanted to see her a whole lot. It's <laughs> just like, where's I mean, Suki? I love them as a couple. Yeah, I think they're really great. Like, but it's your dad that you haven't seen in years. Yeah, it's like, I I really do like them as a couple quite a bit. They're probably, as of right now, my favorite canon um, ship in the show. I, But I like them each as individual people more. And I think one of the things that I like about them so much is that they both are individual people. Like, they have their own stuff going on. And... Um, you know, it's about their own personal work and their own personal lives and what they're doing. And they just happen to be people who care about each other. And so I like that sense of it's, it's really adult in a way that like you have your own life and your own rich interior, you know, complexity. And yet you find an affinity with another person who complements that, but isn't like integral to your you don't it's not the you complete me thing it's not the jerry Maguire like i need you in order to live it's like i'm living my life and i also think you're really hot and i like being around you and like i just really like that i was more annoyed when suki left in the previous episode because i just love her and i think she needs to be around all the time and so whenever she's not around i get really mad so I think there was probably, like, I, I do ship them, and so there was probably, like, a little twang in my heart where I was like, oh, I wish we'd get to see the reunion, but um, it didn't make me mad, I don't think. But instead of any of that, what we got... Well, we're not there yet, so hold on. Okay. <laughs> so so they fly off, and, and Sokka tempts fate, you know, by declaring everything to be perfect, we He's see. like, Suki's waiting for me. And then what mm-hmm. I love is Aang's like, yeah, girls are girls waiting, are waiting for, us. for us. Thanks, positive energy. Super <laughs> cute. And, uh, yeah, it's great. And then we see Toph go to her, the house where supposedly her mother is, and um, enters, you know, we see her kind of like, <laughs> she, she has this like big sigh before she goes in. Uh, and then walks in, the room is empty, except it's not empty because the boulder and whoever her old earthbending teacher is. There you go. Oh, yeah. No, it's Master Shin, maybe? And Shin Fu is the MC. It's not the boulder. Oh, it's, it's not the, the boulder. It's not the boulder. It's whoever was the MC for yeah, yeah, yeah. Earth Rumble 6. Gotcha. Um, yeah. But- there. And they we haven't seen her. them for a while, for a couple episodes. Um, we haven't. I did not forget about them. There was a bounty on Toph's mm-hmm. head that, you know, they wanted her back, or her parents wanted her back, so mm-hmm. there was a reward for her. They show up, and they trap her in a metal box. Mm-hmm. Clang. Yeah. Boom. Done. Yeah, this is why you don't split up, kids. <laughs> well, that's why I said, like, at least if, like... Katara's in the city too, so why not go with Toph mm-hmm. to see her mom? Like, even if she isn't in the exact moment of the reunion, she just would go as like emotional support, right? But yeah, I was like, no, 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 no. You're both in the same city, so you stick together while you're still in the same city. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on, guys. 
Ugh. And then oh, we and don't... also the Dai Li um, go to visit Long Feng in prison, slide him an extra fancy tray of food, mm-hmm. and tell him that they are still loyal to him, even though all the other soldiers are loyal mm-hmm. to the Earth King. Yeah. So even though he's slipping as an evil genius, apparently he's not down and out quite yet. We don't catch up with Katara. She's off advising somebody, doing something. Who knows? Maybe she's having a spa day. We don't know. Uh, But we do see the Earth King, and we see the three Kyoshi warriors approach. And I knew immediately that it wasn't Suki, because her hair was up. And Suki doesn't wear her hair up. And Suki would obviously be the leader of the group. I still didn't know who it was. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> until we hear her voice um and then that was crazy that was a very crazy twist because in Appa's last days when Suki and the Kyoshi warriors are fighting with Azula and her friends we don't see the outcome of that fight because we're tied to Appa's POV and when he leaves we leave with him and so we don't and, and know that fight stops like mid frame. Uh-huh. Yeah, we so don't, don't know, know the, the outcome. outcome. Yeah. Yeah. And we haven't, you know, picked it back up until now. And obviously Suki lost, so I'm pissed. <laughs> uh she's not dead because the world wouldn't do that to me. <laughs> so I know she's gonna live. Um but yeah, this was really crazy. And I continue to be super impressed with the way they animate the Kyoshi Warriors makeup because everybody always looks like themselves when they have it on. Aang has worn it before. I think Sokka wore it. Like no matter who they have wearing that makeup, it doesn't they retain the characteristics of their own unique face. And I feel like that I don't know anything about drawing, but I feel like that must be so difficult because the makeup is so exaggerated and dramatic that it must be easy to want to let the makeup become like the mask of the face and have all the features kind of blend together. But Azula and Tylee and and, um, May are completely recognizable as themselves wearing that makeup. And it's so creepy. To me, what's actually more impressive is... Because what it is to animate the makeup, but their facial features would still be the same. They just put makeup on top of it. True. But what impressed me was that they retained the silhouette. of The silhouette is usually what is more recognizable than anything else. Like, you recognize mm. it wasn't Suki because of the hair. So mm-hmm. the silhouette is actually what people notice in animation, not necessarily the features of the face. And they managed to retain that silhouette, even though all three of them are wearing the Kyoshi armor. Yeah. Because normally that's not what their silhouette looks like, but... They're still recognizable from afar as being, hey, these are not the girls that we would be expecting. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's generally it's the hair, like they've retained their hair. Um, you know, Azula still has like the two things mm-hmm. in front of her face, and May's got her like buns on the side. Yeah. And, um, Tylee's got kind of like a hair and like a long braid. So we get that kind of reveal from the front that this is, oh no, it's, it's Azula and her mean girl crew. Mm-hmm. And not Suki as we expected. Yeah. So, and that's 
the cliffhanger of this episode. I mean, there it are a is. couple of cliffhangers, but just boom, right there. Yeah. I yeah. do. I feel like that's. I feel like this last section is a is a season finale cliffhanger. Like that's just. It feels so like <gasps> to me because everything about the rest of the episode feels like setup, and these cliffhangers aren't paying off the setup. The setup is still hanging out there, so we know that the next you know, episodes and the, everything else is going to address this moving forward. But I don't know, these cliffhangers just seem so... Because we go from everything being great to everything being not great, but people, not everyone is aware that things have turned yet. You know, we've got Aang and Sokka are still ignorant. Katara probably is too. Like, things are bad, and the audience knows that things are bad, but our characters, our heroes, don't know yet, except for Toph, who obviously knows. <laughs> But yeah, so I have no idea what is going to happen in the finale. And we haven't talked about Zuko yet, either. Oh my goodness. And we're pushing two hours here. So, (laughs) Zuko basically gets soul sick. He, (laughs) he, his choice... He has an existential crisis, really. He does. He does. His choice to release Appa and not pursue the avatar is so at odds with his core identity that it causes you know his own iro is like your mind and body are at war within yourself and you will it's very dangerous you know but you'll emerge a new beautiful prince that you were always meant to be and so we see iro taking care of zuko giving him water zuko's tossing and turning having all these fever dreams i was very upset because he gets sick like immediately in the beginning of the episode he like collapses and i remember texting you guys and being like what is wrong with zuko (laughs) (laughs) um and he and we see these dreams that he has and he dreams that we see him as the fire lord and his face is unscarred and he's older and he's in the full you know fire lord he's got the comb and the robes and everything and there are two dragons the blue dragon and the red dragon who are like the angel and the devil on his shoulder kind of and the blue dragon is voiced by azula and the red dragon is voiced by iroh and as the azula dragon is trying to tell him to sleep to give in you know she's very seductively trying to what i would imagine would be so this is like i'm assuming symbolic this is his soul fighting for itself and if he gives in and lets go he'll succumb to whatever sickness and iroh is telling him no keep fighting don't listen to the blue dragon and we see him, you know, we get kind of like an Alice in Wonderland, everything melting away, and he falls down, and he sees his mother cry out for his help. And then we also see another unrelated, unconnected segment of Dream, in which Zuko wakes up, and he rises from his pallet on the floor and goes to wash his face, and when he, the, the camera is on his torso the entire time, so we don't see his head... And he splashes water on his face, and as his face comes up in front of the mirror, it's... And I watched this, like, three or four times. It looks like Zuko's face, but bald with 
the Aang's, a- with Aang's avatar yeah. arrow. It's Zuko's unscarred face. Mm-hmm. Unscarred with, face. But he's bald and he looks, he's got mm-hmm. the, the arrow tattoo that Aang does. Right. Because so, at first I was like, is that Aang? But then I watched it, I was like, it's not Aang. That is Zuko. But he looks like Aang. Yeah. yeah, they're explicitly drawing the parallel that they're foils mm-hmm. for each other, right? That Aang and Zuko yeah. are foils. Um, and, then he, and then he wakes up for real from that one. And the thing that kind of got me was he touches the scar on his face. On his face. Yeah. And it's still there, you know. And and to be completely honest, I don't like him unscarred. He doesn't look like, he doesn't look right. He doesn't look it. right at all. Like, I was just like, meh. Mm. Also, he's gotten really thin. Mm-hmm. And I, don't I noticed that too. Know if you guys remember, like in season one when he's like fighting Zhao, he, they're having an Agni Kai and he's shirtless. He's like ripped for mm-hmm. a 16 year old. He's like bulked out and everything, and now he's gotten really thin. Like you can count his ribs. Mm-hmm. I noticed um, that when he turned like, over. Um, so yeah, I was like, whoa. <laughs> um, yeah, this for Zuko, it's all of an internal battle. We're, so there's like, this huge external battle going on with Aang and company, but for Zuko, it's all inside, where he's struggling with who he is, what he wants, you know. And, I mean, we all know that Zuko is a good kid. Mm-hmm. Like, we've known that from the start. He's a good kid. Like, yes, he wants his father's approval, and he wants to claim his destiny as, you know, the son of the Fire Lord and everything. That's, you know, that's his inheritance, but at at his core, he's fundamentally at odds with his father because his father is evil and he's not. So, mm-hmm. you know, so we have this kind of internal struggle of what will win out. Will it be his misguided attempt to please his father or is it going to be his innate goodness? Um, and I would venture that the episode actually leaves it pretty ambiguous about which part of him won. Huh. Yeah. I <laughs> I hadn't thought about that before. Huh. I mean, I guess so, we don't see, you know, we he doesn't speak or we don't see any action other than him getting up and touching his face. It could have been really hokey. That's the thing about Zuko's thing. It was a little bit hokey. It was a little bit hokey. <laughs> it could have been much more hokey. Um, I was willing to go with it. I was like, okay, I did so go with it. I did go like with it because I love Zuko. His... But it's like that whole scene where he's on top of the mountaintop and he's screaming at the storm for the lightning to strike him. It is kind of hokey. And that genuinely moved me, though. That I was, I mean, it I was does... genuinely like sobbing about that. <laughs> Whereas this, I, at first I was like, oh my god, what's wrong with Zuko? And I was freaking out. And then Iroh kind of explained it. And I was like... Oh, like I get it, and I appreciate that. I obviously I love Zuko; he's my favorite, and I I appreciate that his journey is so much an internal journey and so much about internal conflict. And we're kind of, I guess, we're kind of um, dramatizing that even more now. We're making that kind of explicit, and I guess I just feel like we didn't need to do that. It's been so beautifully done, and so crystal clear up until now that I I almost feel like this is just kind of cheapens it I'm just like it it brings it's like taking the metaphor and bringing it into reality and I, I just feel like they were doing such a wonderful job that it's it wasn't necessary I don't think it's harmful I don't think it's bad 
but I just feel like... I liked the visions, but the vehicle in which we get them is what's hokey. Yeah. Like, the vision of, you know, the red dragon and the blue dragon representing different parts of himself, I really liked that. I also liked that flash of that he gets in the mirror where he looks like Aang. Mm -hmm. Like, those are, you know, metaphorically what he has to struggle with and deal with. I don't mind those, but the whole Iroh sitting by his bedside and, like, mopping him and be like, you know, you are struggling for yourself. And it, it just kind of, you're like, okay, we get it. <laughs> like, we don't yeah. need to have this intercut thing. Where <laughs> yeah, constantly reminding be... us. Yeah, like, if it was just Zuko's in... Like, if he was just asleep and had and woke up from that dream, and, like, you can see the psychic stress that his identity crisis is placing on him without the mystical sickness component of it. Um, Even so, the yeah. mystical sickness would have been okay if it wasn't just this, like, corny shot back and forth of, of Iroh sitting by his bedside, just kind of, like, yeah. caring for Zuko. Like, we could have just, like, had him collapse... Have Iroh be like he's struggling with himself, and then just spend the rest of Zuko's time like in his fever dream. We don't have to do that continual cutting back and forth to seeing him being taken care of, because that's I think what diminishes the actual power of those scenes for me. It's just like we know he's sick, we know you're taking care of him, Iroh. You don't have to remind us. Yeah. So yeah, that wraps it up for these two episodes and now we just have the finale of season two to watch and then we're done with this season which has been markedly better than the first season although i'm sure we'll do like a retrospective next week um but yeah any voice stuff or anything else that we haven't discussed yet uh yeah there's uh two two names uh uh, just the two of them, but they're both really kind of big deals. Um, the first one is the voice of the Earth King, and that's Phil Lamar, who I oh. normally can spot his voice like a I mile away. I didn't recognize away. him. Me either. I think they might have messed with the pitch or something, like, like I don't know, some, something. Because like, usually I can hear his voice and be like, that's him right there. Um, anyways, uh, he... Uh, let's see, what are some things that are... He's done he's these brilliant cur- things. Yeah, he's been in basically everything. But he is currently Lucius Fox on DC Superhero Girls. Um, he was Ollie Williams on Family Guy, the Blackie Weather Reporter. He's been Baxter Stockman in a bunch of Ninja Turtle stuff. He was Ratbag in the Lord of the Rings Shadow of Mordor game. That's one of the orcs or something that you... Something, so I don't remember it. It's been a while. He's probably best well-known for playing Hermes Conrad in Futurama. Um, He's been Aquaman in a bunch of stuff. He was also Samurai Jack, which is an amazing show if you haven't checked it out. I liked it. It's Um, been a while since I've seen that one, though. Yeah, it's a really good one. Um, He was the title character of Static Shock. Uh, Virgil is his non-superhero name. (coughs) And he was Wilt in Foster's Home for... Imaginary Friends. I need to watch that show again. It's really delightful. When it gets really hot, sometimes I do the whole It's Hot in Topeka bit from <laughs> Monsters Home. Have you seen this, Kelly? Mm-mm. I'll send you the link. If you if if you think it's funny, then maybe it's worth it for you to watch the show. If you don't, then don't bother. <laughs> 
I really love Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. It's exactly my kind of humor. Um, but yeah, there's this like long extended segment where the main character Blue is just watching TV and the weather guy's like, it's going to be hot in Topeka. And then <laughs> Blue just like stretches the words out and just like talks about being, it, it, yeah, I'll send it to you. And if you laugh, then you can let me know. <laughs> also worth mentioning, uh, the girl on that show, Frankie, is voiced by the same actor who does Azula. Ah. Oh, okay. Um, and the other name, um, I actually just saw, caught this by luck because again, this was, she was listed under, um, additional voices. Um, her name is Andrea Romano and I have no idea who she played in this other than probably some background voices. She's usually a vocal director rather than a voice actress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, so if you look at her voice acting credits, um, they're all like, second woman, or so-and-so's secretary, or nurse, or just, like, background, nothing, no-name characters, and that's because that's not her job. Her job is a voice director, and she has been a voice director on everything. She's also the voice director for Avatar. As well as Legend of Korra. And Um, Animaniacs, and Tiny Toon Adventures. She's she's done um, (laughs) pretty much everything for Warner Brothers... Uh, Freakazoid, Animaniacs, Looney Tunes, Tiny Tunes, everything from DC, uh, Scooby-Doo, Teen Titans, she was most of the Land Before Time, uh, Fantastic Max, the Flintstones, and the Flintstones Kids, Yogi Bear, both the Smurfs and the Snorks, which were the knockoffs of the Smurfs, uh, Popeye, the Jetsons, GoBots, the Little Troll Prince, uh, DuckTales, Chippendales, Rescue Ranger... And I think that's all of the ones that I scribbled down in a hurry here. Yeah. Um, But if you are interested in her at all, there are two really good interviews she did. One was for Talking Tunes with Rob Paulson, and the other one was on The Nerdist. And if I'm remembering right, The Nerdist one, she actually gives advice on how to become or start, you know, being a voice actor, if you're interested in that at all. There's also an interview with her in the DVD featurettes of the... Avatar show, which is how I knew she was a director. I mean, her voice comes oh. up in the—I mean, her name comes up in the credits, but she talks about the voice actors for Avatar. So, yeah. well, if you're looking for a longer interview, I'm guessing that's probably like a half hour or less. The yeah, podcasts it's, it's, are all at least an hour. <laughs> Anyways, that's uh, that's her. All right. That wraps up this week's installment of the Earth King Prairie Home Companion. Next week, we will be finishing Season 2 of Avatar The Last Airbender by discussing The Guru and The Crossroads of Destiny. So be sure to tune in for newbie recaps, know-it-all nerdery, and general squeeing all around. And as always, you can subscribe to us via iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, or your podcast provider of choice. Or visit us at our website, earthkingdomradio.com. And if you like us, please rate and review when you get a chance as it helps other listeners find the podcast. You can follow me, Kelly, at Bookish Chick on Twitter or Instagram. You can follow me, Mike, at Robo underscore Pants on Twitter. And you can follow me, JJ, at SJ Jones, that's S-J-A-E-J-O-N-E-S, on Twitter or my website, sjjones.com. And all of us are at Twitter at Earth Kingdom Pod. So you can follow us there, too. Our theme music is Cattails by Kevin MacLeod, and our logo was designed and created by our very own JJ. 
Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.